Welcome to the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I don't know about you, but I'm very excited to get started with this. And I'm so happy uh, and excited to have you guys along for the ride. My name is Dustin Smith. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at @dustinthenow. And also joining me is Neil Schumann, founder of In All Kinds of Weather. And also, we have last but not least, Casey Hampton. As we go forward, we'll be talking about all things Gators, be it football, basketball, baseball, softball. We will have our opinions and our thoughts, but we want yours to feel free to tweet at us and tell us what you think. This is definitely an interactive thing that we have going on. And who knows, your tweet, your DM, whatever, it may come up on a, on a future episode of the in all kinds of weather forecast podcast. How about that? Didn't think that would rhyme, but it did. So without further ado, let's dive right in. Awesome. Um, yeah, so this is the dawn of a new day for the in all kinds of weather forecast. Dustin, uh, it's great to have you along for the ride. I know I speak for Casey when I say that I'm very happy to have you along for said ride. And since it is the dawn of a new day for the In All Kinds of Weather forecast, to go along with the nature slash weather genre of the site's name, I speak for all three of us, I believe, when I say that we cannot wait to see that sunrise on what we hope is a clear horizon. So, yes, let us dive right in indeed, and let us dive in by letting our listeners get to know us a little bit better. So what I think will be fun to do is to go around and give our name, where we're from, how he became a Gator fan, and for fun, let's also throw in what our favorite Gator jersey color combo is and what our favorite Gator win of all time was. And I'll start. I am Neil Schulman. I am the guy who initially created In All Kinds of Weather. I am the guy who tweets and posts from behind those social accounts that you've probably run into at one point or another. I live in northern New Jersey, just across the Hudson River from New York City, same area where I grew up, actually, and I'm a Gator fan because my mom went there and her father went there, and my maternal grandfather was actually very good friends with Stephen O'Connell, who the basketball arena in Gainesville is named after, since grade school. Thought about going there, did apply, did get in as an out-of-state applicant, but ultimately decided it was too far from home, so I went to a small school in Pennsylvania called Muhlenberg. But the Gator fandom never wavered, and it never will. In all kinds of weather means just that, in all kinds of weather. So no uh, no collegiate experience at a smaller school is going to sway me away from the orange and blue. Uh, my favorite Gator jersey combo is an orange helmet, a blue jersey, and blue pants at home. And on the road, same thing, but obviously with the white jersey. So orange helmet, white jersey, and blue pants. I'm just not a white pants guy, and I, I don't like them. I really don't because any team in any sport at any level in any country on this planet can wear white. The University of Florida's colors are orange and blue, and I believe we should display them whenever it is possible. That said, I do get the tradition of the white pants with the blue jersey and the orange helmet. It is our traditional home uniform, so to speak. I do get it, uh, and I, I am fine with doing it for 
you know, an FCS opponent or a Vanderbilt or, you know, a bad Tennessee team um, or Missouri or, you know, a non-brand name opponent. But it is my strongly held belief that every time the Gators are in a big game on a national stage, they should go with orange helmet, blue jersey, and blue pants. My favorite win, it's easy to say a national championship game, so I'm going to... I'm going to be a little different from the norm here. Uh, actually, a game in which we wore the white pants, but I was able to get past that because this game was a 49-10 to beatdown of Georgia. Somewhere, Urban is still out there calling timeouts. 49-10 and a little bit of payback after the previous year's dunce-dunce revolution in the end zone uh, in Jacksonville. So, yep, that's me. Dustin, how about you? Again, thanks for coming along with us, Neil. I'm, I'm thankful to be a part of this podcast, and I'm also super excited to be with Casey. And, and uh, real quick, let me let me go through this. So again, uh, if you don't already know me, my name is Dustin. Um, I'm actually out of Central Florida. Uh, I've been a Gator. I was basically born and raised. My parents um, were very close friends with a family of Eric Rett. Um, many of the, the Gator fans who have been Gators for a long time will know that name. Uh, one of the best running backs to play at the University of Florida. Um, my middle name is actually Eric, spelt just like his. So that's kind of my fun fact, my fun Gator fact. And uh, But honestly, um, I didn't really become a sold-out Gator fan until uh, 2005, 2006, when Urban Meyer took over as the head coach of the University of Florida. Uh, and also, it really picked up strong when Tim Tebow play, started playing for the Gators. Immediately when I saw him, I, I knew that I wanted to be just like him. I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to play football, and I wanted to go to the University of Florida. Unfortunately, my football career didn't pan out too well, uh, but I did get the chance to go to UF, get a degree there, and I graduated there with a degree in aerospace engineering. So my favorite Gator win ever. Um, there's so many victories that, that I've had the opportunity to be a part of, um, but I would have to say uh, the, the, the 2006 South Carolina game was something super special. Uh, one, of the, one of the first big Florida games that I can remember going way back to when I was in uh, the sixth grade, and seeing uh, Jarvis Moss block that kick, um, that was just, that was buffoonery. The The stadium went insane, and uh, ever since then, I've been enjoying incredible victories at the Swamp. And uh, my favorite jersey combo, I'll be super simple, yet super straightforward. I love blue on blue on orange. That's orange helmets, blue shirts, and blue pants. Orange helmets, blue jerseys, blue pants. How about you, Casey? What's up, guys? And Dustin, you cannot go wrong with the cock block. Uh, that was great, great memory. Uh, so my name is Casey. Uh, I live in Atlanta. I am originally from Central Florida as well. Uh, so shout out to the 407, Dustin. Um, my, how I became a Gator fan. So actually a really funny story. My mother hated Bobby Bowden because she claimed that he could not speak proper English and that dad gum was not an actual word, though he insisted on making one. Um, so uh, became a Gator fan. 
Uh, both my brothers went to Florida, uh, and I've been a Gator fan ever since. Um, and I live in Atlanta. Uh, my Twitter handle is champton85. Uh, I generally am tweeting at Tennessee or Georgia fans and riling up those fan bases. Uh, so my favorite Gator win ever, uh, I have to say, I, I'm going to break this into two. Uh, my favorite home win uh, that I've ever seen Florida win, the season was less than memorable. Um, but the Tennessee 2017 Hail Mary pass uh, when Felipe dropped the bomb to Tyree Cleveland, uh, that was pretty special, and the swamp went wild. Um, but as far as not being there, it would probably be the 2016 LSU game, uh, the goal line stand from Tigerland. Uh, so that was that was pretty awesome to watch with, with friends. Uh, my favorite uh, Gator jersey combo, uh, I will say for home, I'm going to go with Neil orange helmet uh, and blue pants, blue jersey. Uh, and on the road, I'm going to be a little different. Uh, I like the orange helmet, white jerseys, and orange pants. Uh, just because with that combo, I will always be reminded of Matt Jones icing it in, in 2017. Yes, yes. So, <laughs> and Mississippi State uh, in 2018 as well. Uh, when Steiner uh, brought Fitzgerald down, that was a pretty awesome game to be at as well. So uh, really yeah. excited to do this uh, with you guys, and let's get going. Yeah, man, so many games so many great games mentioned there and I don't know about you, but, but some of the great games that took place during the, the Jim McElwain tenure kind of have lost their luster since, you know, games like that, a uh, wonderful 2015 Ole Miss game or the, the Tennessee game in 2015. Um, man, the, both of those games were incredible, but as we know with the, the whole situation with Will Greer, that that season kind of took a turn. Anyway, moving forward, let's speak about a, another football season, which is a season that we would like to remember even more so, the 2019 football season. What do you guys have to say? Well, for me, if I were a teacher giving it a grade, I would give it a 90 out of 100, so a fringe A- slash B plus grade. It was a very good season by any objective measure. There were a lot of positives, you know, beating Virginia in a New Year's Six Bowl game for the second straight year. We finished in the top 10 for the second straight year. We won 11 games. We won double-digit games for the second straight year. Uh, we beat Auburn, who we never play anymore, an old rival. We beat another old rival that we never play anymore in Miami. We didn't play well in that game, but we won the game. We got the win, so that's a positive. We embarrassed Tennessee. We embarrassed FSU. Those are positives, but we could not beat the Georgia Bulldogs, and that's why I give it a 90 grade out of 100, and I give it a very good label and not a great label or, or solid A because we couldn't beat Georgia. That is the biggest rivalry game for the Florida Gators right now. It is the game we have to win in order to unlock the big championship stages, such as the SEC title game and the college football playoff. You know, you can say what you want about FSU. You can talk about what a great game that used to be in the 90s. And, you know, for a couple of stray years here in the last 15 years, like in 2012, you can cite the fact that we've played them for a national championship. But as it stands right now, Georgia is the one game on the schedule that we absolutely have to win more than the other 11. And we could not do it, even though we knew that last year. We knew that game was everything for us and we couldn't do it. So it's unfortunate that one bad day 
at the wrong moment can screw everything else up and ruin it and take away from what was overall a really, really good season. But that is just the reality of it. Some games are bigger than others. They're not all equal. And the game that was bigger than others in Jacksonville was the one we couldn't win. So I say that it was a very good but not great season. In terms of getting a little bit more into the X's and O's, I would say Kyle Trask had to be the MVP. That's just the obvious choice. So I'll go a little bit differently than that. I'll say that LaMichael Pirine was the unsung hero of the team. I'm going to make a verb out of this word. He wanted himself to yards. You know, you can say, you know, he willed himself. He pushed himself. He wanted himself to gain yards where they just weren't there. You know, he pushed, he fought, he put his nose down and ran hard between the tackles. You know, he's great at catching the ball out of the backfield, but he was just a gritty, tough kid who made the most out of the opportunities that were there for him. And there weren't really that many of them because the offensive line didn't really help him very much last year. Um, you know, and, and it paid off for him in the Orange Bowl, as we saw. It paid off for him against Auburn, as we saw. It paid off for him against Miami, as we saw him catch a touchdown pass in that game. So he was just the gritty, hard-nosed, unsung hero of the team last year. And Florida's going to really miss him. Yes, they got Lorenzo Lingard eligible. Yes, they have a bunch of guys coming back in that running back room, including uh, Naquan Wright, Iverson Clement, Malik Davis, and Damian Pierce. But they are really going to miss him. And... On defense, I'll say I really liked what I saw out of Kair Elam, especially down the stretch. Um, coming up with that insane pick against Bryce Perkins in the Orange Bowl was huge. That's just, you know, that goes to show that saying big-time players make big-time plays in big-time games, and he did that. So I cannot wait to see him take the next step as a sophomore next year. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree. Um, I will say that uh, Dan Mullen remains undefeated against Florida State. Uh, so, uh, that was definitely a, uh, a, a good point. Um, and little did we know when, uh, we saw the Florida state game that that would be last game we might see in the swamp for a while. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's going to be defined by his ability to, um, play and eventually beat Georgia. Um, Dan Mullen is an incredible coach. Um, Dan Mullen, I think is the right guy for the job because he understands, what the expectations are. And I think he embraces those uh, that Will Muschamp never understood and embraced that. Um, I think he was a good, decent person from everything that I've read and heard uh, within the Florida athletic department. Um, but obviously he wasn't a fit. Jim McElwain didn't understand it and he didn't want to understand it. Um, Dan Mullen embraces. And I think he's motivated by the expectations um, because we are a greedy fan base. There's no way around that. Um, especially if you look back uh, pre-Steve Spurrier and then what uh, Spurrier did in the 90s um, to what Urban did in the 2000s, we are a greedy fan base and we have a right to be so. Uh, But this season is going to be defined by if he can beat Georgia. Um, Because if he doesn't, then at that point, that will be – four years that Georgia has beaten us straight. And that hasn't happened since the late 1980s, firstly. Uh, But more importantly, does that mean that Florida now owns their own version of Mark Richt, that he can't win the big game? Um, You will never convince me that Lawrence Cager caught that ball um, in the Georgia game. Um, But again, 
good teams rise above bad calls. Uh, so, uh, again, <laughs> you know, 2018 felt good because we got back to double-digit wins after a four-win season. We won the Peach Bowl. We finally beat Michigan. Last year felt good because we played very well in Baton Rouge. Uh, I think we probably gave LSU one of the better games they had last year, especially at home. Uh, we slogged out a win against South Carolina in the Tropical Storm game fell flat against Georgia, uh, but we came back and responded for the rest of the year. But again, everything is defined by Dan Mullen being able to beat Georgia. Uh, and if he doesn't do that, um, I think, you know, I, I, I worry that he'll turn into our own version of Brunk Rick. Um, but one positive from last season, I think the offensive line, young as they were, played well. Um, and I really like what we have with Coach Evesey. Uh, I think he – gets the most out of his guys. Um, and one negative is that for whatever reason, we play like a different team against Georgia and Kirby smart, I think does with his team, what Steve Spurrier did with his in the nineties, that that game means more to Kirby smart than any other game on the schedule. Um, and he gets the most out of his guys for that game. And Dan Mullen needs to start treating that game um, like urban Meyer and like Steve Spurrier and like Kirby smart does. And he needs – this year is the opening that we can get because I believe that Kyle Trask is a better quarterback than Jamie Newman. I think our offensive line will have grown. I think with the news of Lorenzo Lingard getting his uh, transfer uh, is going to be great great news for the Gators. Uh, I think our defensive line is going to be strong. I like Kair Elam. I like um, the fact that uh, we've got Marco Wilson coming back. Uh, everything sets in place this year for the Gators to make a run. And if they don't this year, I think Gator fans have a legitimate question as to if Dan Mullen is a good coach, just not a great coach. Well, a couple of things uh, to add on to that, Casey. First of all, it's been even longer than you, than you thought since George has beaten us four straight times. It's been since 80 to 83. That's the early 80s. That means a lot of people right now – who are following Gator football either weren't alive or they were too young to be cognizant of it. So that that's something that hasn't happened in a while. And Dan Mullen would be responsible for 75% of it. And that leads us into the question. And I can't state the importance of that word enough question about Mullen. It's not a verdict by any means. We're not writing him off as Mark Rick because he can't win one game. It's just that the pattern that, is developing in front of our eyes is reminiscent of what Mark Rick's pattern was at Georgia. Um, But then he could turn around in 21, lead us to a win over Georgia, win the national championship. And all of a sudden, guess what? That question has been answered and it's been answered in a positive fashion for us. So it's by no means an opportunity for us to freak out, call him Mark Rick, say that's who he is. He's going to be a 10 and three coach for the rest of time. He'll never be Georgia. Or if he does, it'll be, you know, a Tennessee 2016 situation where we'll still falter and we can't win the the East and, you know, just, you know, we'll hold off on that, but it will be, I would say it will be problematic if we can't beat Georgia. Like right now we can still sort of dismiss the loss to Georgia last year and even the year before as a bad game. But if he becomes 0-3 against them, I don't really fault him for the first one, but he did lose it. So if he becomes 0-3 against them, that's not a fluke. That's not a coincidence. That's a pattern. 
And if that's the pattern that he becomes known for, it becomes fair for us to question. And I'll, I'll say it again because people are going to take this the wrong way, I'm sure. It becomes fair to question exactly what his ceiling is. Dan Mullen has led Georgia in the uh, 2018 and 2019 games. Dan Mullen has led Georgia a cumulative three minutes and three seconds. Not good. Not, Not good. But, but, but again, uh, he was taking over a situation that was horrid from Jim McElwain. I'm, I'm just going to use this opportunity to plug my piece in which I wrote about how Dan Mullen came in and basically gave the Florida culture a complete facelift. Um, it's called culture shock. How Dan Mullen changed the culture of Florida football. It was a mess. I mean, people were just literally not caring one bit about anything other than themselves. He had to come in and he had to fix that. He had to do a 180 on that. And that's not easy to do. And for him to win 10 games his first year was nothing short of miraculous. So I don't really care that he lost to Georgia in 2018. I will care if he loses to Georgia in 2018 and 2019 and 2020. Well, and one other thing, you know, with that, Dan Mullen had that team at Mississippi State locked in. He had that team in 2019 versus Auburn when he was locked in. I was at both of those games. That team was fired up. That team was ready. The Swamp in 2019 for the Auburn game, for anybody listening that was there, that was quite possibly the wildest I have ever heard the Swamp. When P. Ryan ran for that for that touchdown, that was the loudest I had personally ever heard the Swamp. So it's a fair question to question Dan Mullen's ability to win the game that matters because look, Florida state's down right now uh, as good as it feels to beat them every year. And I, I, I don't care if we're 12 and 0 or 0 and 12 when we beat Florida state, that, that feels damn good to beat them every, every time it happens. But beating Florida state doesn't mean as much as beating Georgia in the context that we're now speaking about it. Because again, that quality win that we're not going to get against Florida state anymore. We need to beat Georgia for our conference aspirations for recruiting. You know, we can talk about the reasons why Kirby smart is recruiting a a juggernaut at Georgia. Um, And you can go look at my Twitter feed as to my thoughts on that. But again, we don't win those recruiting battles. If you don't win the game on the field and Dan Mullen is winning the state right now, as far as recruiting, you know, that that's done a complete 180 um, from the previous two coaches, but we've got to start winning some of these battles and recruiting. And I'm, I've got my own thoughts on stars and things like that, that don't mean as much as some people make it out to be, but we've got to start getting better athletes on the field um, and on the bench to back up the players on the field. Um, And you don't start doing that until you start competing for conference championships and national championships and playoff berths. Um, And the first step to doing that is beating Georgia. Well, I'd argue that we're not even totally winning the state right now because, I mean, if if you don't get great talent and neither does Miami and FSU, I don't think anyone's winning it. I mean, we we let Georgia walk into Jacksonville and just take Carson Beck away from us. Like, that was a guy that we wanted. You can, you know, you can talk about exactly the ethics regarding his, uh, his, his commitment to Georgia, but 
that was a Jacksonville product out of Mandarin High School that we wanted and we didn't get and Georgia did get. So I don't consider anything in the state of Florida a win unless we get exactly who we want or at least close to it. And that's another thing we have to question Mullen about. Uh, you know, he did get some good transfers, Justin Shorter. Lorenzo Lingard, Brenton Cox will be eligible this year, but transfers are band-aids. They're backup solutions. You know, it's great. You know, you get one. It's great. It's great, but it's not the primary method of getting guys onto your program. You want to be able to recruit them out of this, out of the cradle, if possible. Um, you want to get them to your program certainly before they turn, certainly before they graduate high school. Meaning, you don't want to have to rely on the transfer portal to get them, and you want them to not have to think about it being part of any other program, but yours. And we're not doing that very well. So, you know, Mullen's got to start doing that. Well, and the one other thing that I'll add to that is Neil, I agree with you, but <laughs> uh, with, with the news that uh, JT Daniels is going to Georgia, I will just say uh, to Carson Beck, karma is a female dog. Very nice. So See guys. what I did there. <laughs> So, guys, I just want to say that I, I agree. I think recruiting is so important. It's so important that Dan Mullen isn't just getting these great transfers, but we gotta we got to turn the tide. we got to get more five-stars and more highly recruited four-stars. Again, when you, when you go back and you look at the, the teams that were winning national championships uh, for the Gators in 2008 and in, 2000, and in 2006, you saw a ton of top 100 talent on those teams. And so, you know, yeah, we get frustrated about the Gators not beating Georgia, but at the end of the day, Georgia has been the more talented team. They've clearly out-recruited the Gators for the last five to six years, and that has to change. And, yeah, this might be one of those seasons where the Gators are coming in and they're, and they're the more experienced team. They have the more experienced quarterback. They're more well-equipped for the addition of this, this new offensive lineman transfer. But at the end of the day, Georgia's out-recruited the Gators. Kirby's done. Whether Whatever you have to say about his, about his job on the field, off the field, Kirby's done a, a pretty good job out-recruiting the Gators. And Georgia does and has played uh, lights out against the Gators. So what do you guys think about that? <laughs> uh, you know... We've got to, I think, look at Georgia in a way that we haven't for a long time, that Georgia is our number one rival. It's not Florida State. Um, to a lot of us, people like me that grew up in Florida, and I, Dustin, I know you probably feel the same way, um, that Florida State is the um, <laughs> is, is, is the number one rival, and it doesn't matter um, what happens, it'll always be Florida State. But I think we need to start changing the mindsets to maybe what our parents' and grandparents' mindsets were, that Georgia was the bigger rival. Um, so with that, uh, I'm going to give a bold prediction for the 2020 football season, and I'd like to hear what you both um, have as a bold prediction. Um, I'm not – we'll do the you know wins and losses um, on a later podcast this summer, so – I'm just going to say I think we beat LSU at home by double digits. Well, Ooh. yeah. That's, why do you think uh, that? With I'm amazed. All that, that, that incredible generational talent 
um, that LSU had. And look, I, I hate LSU, but I will take my hat off to them that they were a historic team last year that would not be denied. Um, they came together. It worked for them on offense and defense. I think we gave them a hell of a fight in Baton Rouge. Um, but I think next year with a new quarterback, new running back, new receiver, three new offensive linemen, four new defensive linemen, um, and two new corners, I think that's going to be a lot. Um, I believe that will be LSU's first true road game, um, if I'm not mistaken. I believe that will be their first true, because I know they play um, Rice um, in Houston, so that's obviously one of those um, neutral site kickoff games. But, yes, we are their first true road game on October 10th. Um, to ask Miles Brennan or whoever is going to be their quarterback to come into the Swamp, Dan Mullen doesn't lose home October games. Um, you think about it, LSU in 2018, Auburn in 2019, he gets the Swamp rocking for those games. I think that'll be another, though it will forever piss me off that LSU gets night games when we play there, but we have the 330 game when they play in Gainesville. Um, I think that'll be a national spotlight game. I think we beat them. I'm not going to say by two touchdowns. I think we beat them by double digits. Okay, so a touchdown and a field goal. So a a 31 to 20 kind of game. Uh, You know, I'm not going to give a score prediction yet, uh, but I think we beat them at least by 10 points, probably more. Okay, fair enough. Um, If I'm going to have to say something bold, I'm going to say that – I'm going to go against three years of data, and I'm going to say that next year is the year Florida beats Georgia. Uh, it's it's probably not super bold when you look at the personnel. Georgia loses kind of everything that they had last year. However, I will also add that if Florida does not beat Georgia next year, I will never pick them to beat Georgia again until they do it in back-to-back years. So it's a little bit of a double-edged, uh, bold prediction there. I don't, I don't care, you know, if Georgia comes into the game zero and six in twenty-one, and I don't care if we beat them by forty points that year in twenty-two. I'm still going to pick Georgia to beat us again. So if we don't beat them next year, just to reiterate, if we don't beat Georgia next year, I will not pick them to do it again until we beat them twice in a row. I'm putting my Mizzou rule to Georgia this year. And if uh, those of you who don't know about the Mizzou rule, I do not. If if Florida loses multiple times to a team, I pick the other team because it worked last year with Mizzou. Uh, (laughs) I I thought it was a hat trick. No, it's two. I thought it was three in a row. No, 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 no. It's two. If they beat us two years in a row, and especially the way Mizzou beat us those two years in a row, um, yeah, and I was at both those games. Mizzou is the seventh circle of hell, um, if any of you go there for a game. Um, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm with you, Neil. <laughs> I, I, I'm with you. But I'm pulling my own Mizzou role. I am not saying Florida beats Georgia this year. So, guys, I like it. Our next topic that we're going to discuss is basketball. Neil, what are your thoughts on the 2019-2020 basketball season? That kind of ended prematurely. Here we go. <laughs> well, uh, I, I split this into two parts. Um, I'll start with the team. It felt like everything was set up for Mike White and the Gators to succeed last year with Blackshear coming in from Virginia Tech and not one but two five-star recruits coming in that yeah. White himself handpicked. 
Um, and I, I thought Mann was fine. I thought Trey Mann was fine. I didn't think he was a superstar by any means. And I thought Lewis was mostly a disappointment. Uh, I did like Scotty Lewis when he played at the top of Mike White's zone defense, but offensively he just wasn't there for Florida. And so the team was a big disappointment. I don't see another objective way to phrase it. They were a disappointment. They were a top 10 team in the preseason. Uh, they showed flashes of being that top 10 team throughout the season, Auburn, uh, Charleston, but they weren't that top 10 team for the overwhelming majority of the season. And it leaves me in a very difficult position with the leadership of the basketball program. And that's going to take me to Mike White. And it's unfortunate that I have to say this, but especially you know, in the midst of an extra long sports off season where we don't have any sports to tie us over for, you know, for a lot longer than usual, but I've come to terms with the fact that Mike white is basically basketball Ron Zook without fighting fraternity brothers. He'll get you some big wins and he'll get you some horrifying losses to balance it out. And the net result of that will be a basketball team that is exactly average, not great, not terrible, not really good, not really bad. Nope, they're just average, right down the middle. So <clears throat> I think that it's going to be a smart move for Gator fans to just realize that this program is limited with him or else we're just setting ourselves up for disappointment. I mean, that's not to say Florida can't have you know a good stretch here or there, have some good wins here or there, like I mentioned, but they don't prove a rule. They're the anomaly. That's not even to say Florida can't even have a stray good season with him here or there. They had an Elite Eight run a few years ago. Um, but in a perfect storm of circumstances, I do think Florida could potentially make a run to the Elite Eight again or even the Final Four. I mean, if you want to continue with the Ron Zook example, if the refs don't screw us over against FSU in 2003, Florida goes to a better bowl game that year and probably finishes in the top 10. That's not to say Zook is a great coach, but he could have had that one great year. Uh, same with Tennessee in 2004. If the reps call that little slap fest between Dallas Baker and Jonathan Wade both ways the way they should have, and then subsequently don't screw us over with the clock, maybe Florida wins that game, and maybe the rest of the season goes completely differently. So Florida's going to have their chances to be great with White. They'll get themselves in, this, in the situations where, you know, big game to get us on the map, and maybe they'll win some of them. But to put this on a macro scale – I don't trust Mike White as the leader of this program in the long term. I don't trust him to enter a given game with the right game plan or to start the season with the right offense like last year. I don't trust him to use his personnel in an ideal way. I don't trust him to not call the perfectly wrong defense like he did against Kentucky with that zone in the last 10 minutes of that game, uh, which actually turned out to be our finale last year. Uh, and I don't trust him to lead Florida to the heights at which it belongs. So I'm at a point with him where I'm just hoping against hope to be proven wrong. And it, that's all I've got with him. It's, it's just blind hope. So <laughs> I grew up in central Florida, as I said. Um, and one of my favorite things to do when I grew up was watch the shuttle go off. Uh, the space, when a space shuttle went off, it was literally my favorite thing. Um, and I've been so excited this week um, about the SpaceX mission um, that's about to go off. I wanted to be an astronaut when I was a kid, except there were two problems with that. One, I was no good at science or math. And two, I am deathly afraid of heights. So I couldn't be an astronaut. 
Why do I say that? Because I think Mike White's heart is in the right place. He is not meant to be the head coach at the University of Florida in basketball. I think he's a nice guy. I've met Mike White on multiple occasions. I think he is a nice guy. But I'll, I'll tell you, I don't think he's the guy that we need. Now, could he be a successful coach at a place like Jacksonville or Central Florida or, hell, even Georgia Tech, uh, where I work? Yeah, he probably could be. But I don't think he is meant to be the head coach at the University of Florida. And I'll tell you guys, I don't know if I have ever been as angry watching any Florida game, football, basketball, baseball, softball, whatever sport. I don't think I've ever been as angry as I was when we blew a 31 point lead to Kentucky at home in the second half. 18, actually. It was 59 41 with 11.48 to go because Andrew Nemhart hit a jumper, but it felt like 31. Yeah, no, it, it, it was bad. It was bad. You can't have that. I, I, <laughs> I stand corrected, but I don't think I've ever been as angry as I was watching any other sport. Um, and Look, Mike White had demonstrated to me long ago that he wasn't meant uh, to be the coach. But that's there. There's no defending that. You you know, there are Twitter followers out there that just said, give him time. You're a bad Gator. You're a bad fan. Nobody wants to hear your opinion. You're a negative Nancy, blah, 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 blah. There's no defending Mike White. And again, I'm not going to question him personally because I don't know him personally. And the personal interactions I've had with him have been great. But I will question his coaching acumen because that speaks to itself. Uh, winnable games uh, have turned into sideshows. Um, Mike White will get- – <laughs> they, they, they are. That's what they are. I mean, you know – God, I mean, like when we went – Neil, what was UConn's record last year? What, what did it end up being? 19 and 12, same as ours. I mean, and we lost, and it wasn't even close. There was never a point in the game where we said, we're going to take control and win this thing. You know, the Florida State game, I mean, that thing, I mean, Leonard Hamilton just has our number up and down, and Mike White just, he looks befuddled. I mean, that that's the best adjective I can get. He just looks befuddled. Like, he just doesn't get it. I mean, a total deer on headlights, doesn't know what to do. So that, that, that's my soliloquy on Mike White. You know, I wish him the best wherever he goes. Um, maybe he'll go to my alma mater at Jacksonville because Tony Jasic is a terrible coach there, and I'll leave that for another podcast. But I wish him the best wherever he goes. Um, but this team had raw potential and with the right coach could have made a deep run. And to the Mike White supporters, I will grant you, Mike White has won at least one postseason game in every season he's been at Florida. But how long can he cling with his supporters to that Elite Eight run that, mind you, he wouldn't have gotten there had it not been for Chris Chioza's magical shot in the garden. So how long can we cling to that and say he's our guy? Right. You're not a bad Gator if you realize he's not a good coach. Well, I have a fundamental issue with the give him more time argument. And we're going to do a whole episode on Mike White in which we break things down from a more schematic and X's and O's standpoint. But this is just a macro general question because I, I don't get it. And I, I'd like 
to know the answer to this. Uh, what does he need time for? Time to do what? Time to start a new 20-win season streak, which, by the way, doesn't really mean anything since he needed an NIT run to get to 20 wins in one of those seasons, and that 20-win bar was significantly beneath what two of his five teams were supposed to accomplish. Time to win more round of 64 games in the NCAA tournament and then get righteously bounced in a round of 32 while the likes of South Carolina and Auburn hang Final Four banners. Is the additional time supposed to be for us to place bets on whether Tennessee or LSU is the next team to join Auburn in passing us in the best basketball programs in the SEC standings? Uh, or or is, is it a personnel thing? Because last year, he had his hand-picked guys, and that didn't go so well. Oh, well, they were too young, you'll say. Okay, well, how about the year before, where three of his five starters were seniors, and by the way, also his hand-picked guys? Or is this just because you're cognizant of his monster buyout? Side note, the dumbest thing Scott Strickland has done in his otherwise wonderful three-and-a-half-year tenure as RAD. And, and I mean this all very seriously. Open invitation. We want this podcast to be a very interactive platform. So by all means, please tweet us what you think at IAKOWForecast or tweet me personally at All Kinds Weather. Or Casey, at champton85. Please, seriously, tweet us why you think he needs more time. You know, my worry is just that a couple more years will go by and the the day will come where we hire his replacement and all of a sudden we blink our eyes and a distinguishable portion of time has passed and we don't have a single banner to show for it. No SEC titles, no SEC tournament titles, which really don't mean that much, but still, none of those. No Final Fours, no national championships. And that's what the University of Florida it measures success by, by hanging banners, by winning titles. So, yeah, that's, that's really my worry with him. And, and Neil, here's my worry, right? <clears throat> Kentucky is and always has been and probably always will be a basketball jugger. Sure. But Kentucky and Florida generally have been the mainstay mm-hmm. in the conference as one and two, generally alternating positions. What worries me most about Mike White is that we have seen the rise of Tennessee. We have seen the rise of now granted it's been a bumpier rise, but a rise of South Carolina. Uh, I think. How about Auburn? I I, Auburn. Yep. Uh, With Bruce. LSU. Maybe not legally, but LSU. Uh, Auburn, LSU, South Carolina, Tennessee, Meanwhile, those teams are on – and honestly, give a hat tip to what Ben Howland has done at Mississippi State as well. You look at those teams on the rise, and I think Texas A&M is going to be good um, in the future with, with Buzz Williams. What are we doing? We are middling, middle of the conference. Now, granted, Mike White seems to always play LSU well, but he's a mediocre coach, and we're not a mediocre team. Could Mike White be valued at a place like Missouri? Probably, because they don't look at basketball the way that we do. There are some SEC schools, you know, Tennessee values women's basketball. LSU values among football, but baseball is probably their number two. Kentucky values basketball. South Carolina values baseball. These are just examples here. We value football and basketball. And that's not taking away from what the other teams do, but I would say a majority of Florida fans mostly fall into the football and or basketball category. And 
Mike White's not it. And I, and I invite anybody listening to this podcast, tweet me, Hampton 85 as to what in Mike White's tenure gives you hope that he is going to be the coach that we need him and we want him to be in the future. And, and here's the kicker. You cannot mention the Elite Eight run. Give me one bit that, that tells you that Mike White is going to be a coach that's going to bring a championship of some sort. I will even give you. It can be SEC or it can be national. Give me one data point or one fact. It can't be an opinion. Give me a fact that tells you Mike White is going to be a coach that's going to be a championship-level coach at the University of Florida. All right, guys. Yeah. Um, man, I, I'm going to go ahead and table my, my thoughts on Mike White for another episode. Um, that could be another hour. So let's not do that. But let us suffice to say that at the end of the day, you know, there's, there's a lot of disagreement on, on uh, whether he should be the coach of the University of Florida. Uh, whether you like it or not, he is the coach of the University of Florida. And I'm a proponent that, that we support our coach, uh, whether we agree or disagree that he's uh, the right man for the job. Again, I will table my opinion on that for a later episode. Uh, so stay tuned. But guys, let's go to move on super quickly and talk about baseball and softball. Baseball had one of the most historic runs in the history of Gator baseball. I mean, they were clearly one of the best teams, if not the best team in the country. Unfortunately, due to a certain sickness, disease, virus that shall not be named, the season was utterly destroyed for both baseball and softball. Tell me about what you guys saw in these seasons and what you guys look forward to in the 2021 season, since that will be the next full season we get the chance to experience as Gator fans. You know, I feel bad for the fans that look forward to those um, to those sports like myself. You, you know, I love softball um, and, you know, baseball is great. Um, but I, I, I think what we lose not only as fans, we lose that these are student athletes. They lost – entire season um they lost the chance to compete for championships they were robbed of their chance to compete and play and participate in the sports that they love so firstly i i i think i can safely speak for both dustin and neil to any student athlete uh that was affected by the spring um cancellation of sports um, not only in Florida, but in the Southeastern Conference and across the country. Our hearts go out to you. Um, even if you're a rival, um, we appreciate the sacrifice that you make. Um, we appreciate that you put yourself out on the line. We love to root for you. And we appreciate all that you have given up and sacrificed and your families have given up and sacrificed um, so that we can enjoy uh, the sport that you excel at. So, um, I, I, and again, I think I can safely speak for both Neil and Dustin in saying that, um, that that's really where our heart should lie with the student athletes that train, work out, compete, and practice each and every day to excel in their sport. So, 
that's first thing. Second thing, the the run of the baseball team, the softball team was having a great year as well. You, you know, these are two sports that really make Florida the everything school that complete that um, circle of us being the everything school. Um, and it, it's just, it's, it's sad, especially with the run that the baseball team was having. It's, it's frustrating and it's sad, but our hearts go out to the student athletes and we thank you for your sacrifice. Um, and I just, you know, honestly, if I'm going to be uh, forward here, I'm, I'm just looking forward to seeing them get out there and play again uh, next season and to see what Kevin O'Sullivan and the softball team and the baseball team have Tim Walton have for us going forward. So that's really what I have to say on the matter. Yeah. Uh, it, it was, it was really a sub ideal situation for everyone involved as fans. You know, I, I, as a fan, I definitely enjoy Gator baseball and softball. You know, I, I really, really love those sports. And I think that a lot of Gator fans are sort of coming around to that in the last decade or so since the softball and baseball programs hired Walton and O'Sullivan respectively, those sports have grown significantly in popularity. And yes, we obviously feel terrible for all the athletes and the coaches who won't get to be a part of what could have been special seasons in 2020, but you know, there's no winner. It, it, it sucks for everyone who's even remotely involved with it, especially the people who were juniors or seniors, redshirt juniors or seniors who wanted to go on with their lives. I mean, yeah, they have another year of eligibility, but they're not going to use it now. I mean, Sophia Reynoso, like the Gator softball shortstop, she's got aspirations. She's got professional aspirations. She wants to move on and go get her master's degree. Um, you know, Jordan Roberts and in baseball, I'm sure we're still waiting for some things to happen there, but I don't think we're going to see Jack Lefwich or Tommy Mace again. I think those guys are gone. They want to be professional baseball players. They're not, they, you know, they might surprise us, but the chances are probably leaning toward them not coming back. And they got robbed of a chance to do something special last year. And you know what? It just sucks. It, it just absolutely sucks. And it's never, you know, we're, I don't think I'm ever going to get to a point where I can be, you know, silver lining this situation. I don't, I mean, I'm going to make pieces. I'm going to you know, come to terms with it, accept it. It's happened, whatever, but it's always going to be a situation of what could have been, or it's just too bad that they didn't get to do this or that. Uh, and you know what? That goes for the freshmen too. Florida got some really, really good freshman pitchers in both baseball and softball. Uh, Hunter Barco from Jacksonville for baseball and Riley Trilichak out of Texas for softball. And they're probably not going to be here for four more years. We probably will not see them throughout the remaining eligibility that the NCAA has given them. We'll probably see Barco for two more years. We'll probably see Trilicek for three more years until she graduates and until Barco goes on to the MLB. And we just, you know, we got robbed of a chance to see them do everything that they could have done for us in their freshman seasons. And, and that's just something that's, it's just going to be an, a, a very unfortunate memory for us. And while we're on the topic of coaches, I know this sports season wasn't um, ruined by by COVID-19, but um, I want to give a shout out to Mary Wise and the incredible career that she's had. Uh, we don't talk about volleyball that often, and I know in terms of championships, um, it may not be 
you know, a Billy Donovan. It may not be an Urban Meyer or a Steve Spurrier, um, but she has had an incredible run um, as volleyball coach. And I hope she's there for many, many, many years to come. But uh, just Mary has done an awesome job in both on the court with her players and off the court with graduation rates and encouraging her players, even when they become coaches at other schools that may include rivals. Um, she is just a woman of grace, class, um, and absolute um, integrity um, running her program. So uh, I just want to give a shout out to Mary Wise and what she's done with the volleyball program at the University of Florida. All right, guys, man, that was it is super unfortunate we didn't get the chance to see this this uh, baseball and softball season unfold. And, and I certainly agree with you, Neil, that uh, right now it, it definitely appeals to me, uh, especially that the, uh, you know, the Gator baseball team and the Gator softball team are simply more entertaining to watch. They're, they're winning more games. They're, they're winning in style. They're, they're playing with that Gator fight that we know is the DNA of what it means to be a Gator and play for the University of Florida. And I'm excited about the, the 2021 season. I can't wait. So this about wraps it up. Neil's going to speak very briefly about some sponsorships and then uh, we'll wrap it up from there. Yeah. So I'll, I'll call them partners more than sponsors. We're going to get some sponsors uh, in a little bit, but there are, are two main uh, partnership organizations that the in all kinds of weather forecast is very proud to be associated with. First of those is the Gator Good Foundation, which is a nonprofit organization that has one main goal, and that is to send underprivileged or special needs or simply people who are having a bit of a rough patch in their lives at the moment get to a Florida game in the swamp for preferably the first time in their lives, not exclusively, but that is something that we've sort of definitely leaned towards. I'm one of five co-founders and co-heads of it, and I can say that we are still looking for candidates to take to the, the swamp next year, if it's safe, that is, um, but to, to take to the swamp at the next safe opportunity to do so. So if you or someone you know has a story that is worthy of being given a free trip to the swamp, all expenses paid, definitely let me know. Just tweet me at all kinds of weather, or you can message at the Gator Good on Twitter, and we will respond to you as quickly as we can. The second of these two partnership organizations is Fetch 352, which is a delivery service for your errands in Gainesville and Ocala. In the wake of this pandemic, it's understandable that you may not want to go to certain places that you usually feel it is safe to go to to get things done, whether that's dry cleaning, whether that's getting food, whether that's just doing a common errand across the block or something of that nature. Fetch 352 will fetch it for you. So go to fetch352.com to learn more. Again, Neil, thank you so much for sharing about those two incredible organizations. I just want to quickly mention our, our Twitter handle. It is IAKOWforecast. Again, that is IAKOWforecast on Twitter. Um, we will do all we can to release episodes every other Friday. And uh, upcoming, you can look forward to us talking about how this pandemic that shall not be named, 
uh, is affecting Gator sports. Um, it's obviously affecting different parts of the country. I know Neil, who is up in the uh, the Northeast, is being impacted differently than than uh, myself, who's in Florida, which uh, seems to be opening up pretty quickly now. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, Casey, you're in Atlanta. So it's just very different for different people. So I look forward to having conversation with you guys about how this circumstance is impacting the Gator Nation. It certainly has impacted, as we discussed earlier, the softball and baseball seasons, as well as gymnastics and other, other sports we didn't even talk about. So I look forward to this upcoming episode. Um, is there anything you guys want to talk about or mention before we uh, call it a, a night here? Yeah, just stay safe, everyone. Stay healthy. I, I know different parts of the country are being impacted by this pandemic yep. very differently. As Dustin mentioned, I'm kind of uh, in the hub of it, uh, just outside New York City. But just be safe. Be smart. Just it, it sounds kind of inane to say, but just, you know, please don't be stupid. We all want football in the fall. We all want sports back. We all want stuff to resume as normal. Or I'll say all rational people want it to resume. I, I can't speak for certain you know fringe lunatics who just want everyone locked down forever just because they want it and they want it now whatever but you know most of us don't want that we want everything to go back to normal but until then just please be safe please be smart and so so that we can get back to that point and do it safely so that we don't make this worse than it already is and i'll add to that with wash your hands wash your hands wash your hands uh, and with all the other events um, happening in this country, um, as a result of what happened in Minnesota, please stay safe. Uh, please be smart. Um, and honestly, everybody, just be kind to one another. Exactly. All right, guys. Go Gators. And that was episode one of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast podcast. Thanks for listening. Go Gators. Go Gators, guys. Go Gators.